you're new with us, my name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor here, and it is an awesome day to be in God's house. And I just got to say, church, you guys look good today. You really do. I went to the doctor this week and got a new prescription. They gave me a new set of specs that has really enabled me to start to see things much more clearly. You know, like Pastor Lauren just said a moment ago, you know, before you get the, the set of lenses that you need, things in life just look a little bit dull and a little bit cloudy, blurry. But then you put those glasses on, it's like, whoa, I didn't know what I was missing. And I'm here this morning standing here looking at all of you guys, and I didn't realize what a good-looking group of people we have here at Life Church Buffalo. You guys look good. So congratulations to you. No, but seriously, Sunday is my favorite day of the week. You know, it's the day where we get to gather as a community of faith, as a people, and, and worship God together, be encouraged by one another. And, uh, you know, when it comes to church, there's this question that we typically ask people when we find out that they go to church. And it's this question, you know, where do you go to church? And I understand where that question comes from because there are different types of churches that have different belief systems. And so it's a valid question, but I want to ask a little bit of a different question today. And that question is this, do you just go to church or are you a part of a church? Do you go to church or are you a part of a church? And that really is the question that I want us to wrestle with over the next three weeks of this series, because you can surely come and attend one of our weekend experiences here at Life Church Buffalo. We have two every week at the same time as 9 and 11 o'clock, and, you know, our experiences are open to everyone, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum or the journey of faith, if you believe in Jesus or if you don't, if you're convinced or if you're a skeptic, everyone is welcome. If you find value in coming here on the weekends and you're looking for a place where you can feel welcomed and loved, where you can belong before you believe, then then you're welcome to come. This is open and available to everyone. But I believe that the church isn't just a place that you experience. It's, it's not just a sporting event or a concert that you go to and you attend, and then you go home and you go about the rest of your life unchanged. I think that being a part of the church can add way more meaning to your life and value to your life than you ever thought possible. And so a great question that, you know, you might want to wrestle with this week, and if you're in a small group, especially small group leaders, I would encourage you to ask the people in your small group, not just where you go to church, because we all, you know, if we go here and we know where we go, but why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? How would you answer that question? Because how you answer that says a lot about what you think the church is. Some people go because that's just what they feel like they're supposed to do. Maybe they were raised that way and they're just continuing that tradition. Maybe some people go because, you know, guilt is motivating them to go. Maybe they feel bad about some things that they've done, you know, in their life or in this past week and they feel like they've got to go to church to do confession or make penance or, or make up for it. You know, some people might go to church because, I don't know, you like the worship and it lifts your spirits up after a hard week. Maybe you go to church because you like the preaching and it motivates you. Maybe, just saying, it could happen, I don't know. Nothing like a preacher, you know, soliciting some encouragement from the congregation. Yes, pastor, we love your preaching. <laughs> some people go to church because their kids start asking spiritual questions that they're not quite sure how to answer, and so they feel like, you know what, maybe we should start going to church, and maybe they can help fill in some of the blanks for our kids. You know, maybe people go because they just want to learn more about God or this thing called faith. And people go for all sorts of reasons, but you answering the question for yourself of why you go, because until you know the answer to that question, you won't understand what it means to be a part of the church. You might know what it means to go to a church, but to be a part of the church is a different thing. So I want to share a verse with you this morning that's going to serve as the theme for this series over the next three weeks. Because what this series is about primarily is two things. When you hear the word 2020, the first thing that probably pops into your mind, if you're like me, is perfect vision. And so this is a series about vision for where God is leading us and taking us as a church. But 2020 is also a year that happens just three years from now. And so this is a series on vision for who God has called us to be and what he has called us to do and where he has called us to go over the next three years. And so I want to bring clarity to that over the course of this series. And I'm going to build on the series that I preached last fall, if you were here, called Set the Table. If you weren't here, if you only recently started attending, I would really encourage you to jump onto our website 
and scroll back on the media page to listen to the podcast for the weeks of that series because it really kind of, I was able to articulate as best as I know how my vision, my philosophy for why the church exists and, and who it's for. But I'm going to build on that series as well as the series I preached last month called Clarity because I really want each and every single person that calls Life Church Buffalo their home church to have some clarity about who we are, why we exist, and where we're going. And listen, if after these three weeks, you know, you hear the vision of, of where we're going and what we're going to be focusing on as we carry out this mission, if you sit back and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm not so sure that this is the right church for me. I want to say up front that that is okay. That is okay. Because there are different types of churches for different types of people for a reason. And I don't want anyone to feel like they've been coerced to come here. I want this to be a church where you get excited about coming and being a part of what God is doing here in our church and in this city. And if this isn't for you, then I'll help you find a church. If you're new here, maybe you're not used to the pastor getting up and saying, you know what, this might not be the church for you. If you're a Christ follower and you're just looking for a church that's going to meet all your needs, this might not be the church for you. And that is okay. But I believe that over the course of these three weeks, we're going to learn some things and get some clarity about where God is taking us. And it's exciting. And if you can see yourself jumping in, getting connected, and being a part of what God wants to do in and through this place, then I believe then you may have found your new home church. So I'm excited. But I want to say that, you know, the lens that view that you view life through determines how you behave. Perception is reality. All right, you might see some things and, and look at something that is white in color, and I might look at that same thing with this set of glasses on and say, no, it's blue. And no matter how hard you try to convince me, perception is reality. And your view, your vision of church also determines not only what church you go to, but why you go there and what you believe your role is in the church. You know, a couple of weeks ago during the Clarity series, I, I told you a story about how there was a particular guy named Saul whose view, whose lens that he was looking at the church through determined how he engaged and interacted with the church. Because every single one of us look at the church in a specific way. Some of us have a negative connotation. Maybe we were burned by the church. Maybe we're disillusioned or disenfranchised. Maybe, you know, you came here and you found hope for the first time in your life. But we all have a different lens that we see the church through. And the lens that you look at the church through, your vision for church, determines how you interact and engage with the church. Now, this particular guy whose name was Saul in Acts chapter 9 was very zealous for his faith. He was a leader in the Jewish faith called Judaism. He was a Pharisee, a leader in the church of his faith. And he believed that this new following, this new movement of Jesus followers was against the one true religion. And so he made it his mission in life to try to persecute Christians, throw them in jail. He even oversaw the stoning of one particular Christian named Stephen. So his view of the church determined how he engaged with it by him feeling like it was his job to try and persecute Christians. And so one day on his way to a town called Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria, he was going to persecute some more Christians, throw them in jail. He gets knocked down by this blinding light that comes out of the heavens. And this voice comes out of the light that says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from the ground, he's like, who are you? What? Who are you? What do you mean? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And the voice then tells him to get up and go to Damascus where he would be given instructions on what to do next to find a man named Ananias who would pray for him. And so blinded, you know, he is escorted by those that were traveling with him to Damascus and he finds this Ananias who prays for him. And I want to read to you the exchange that takes place because we all need to understand that the lens that we view the church through determines how we engage with the church. And so in Acts 19, verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming home, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. 
Scales literally fell off of his eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized, and he took some food and was strengthened. And for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. In verse 20, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. His vision of Jesus and of the church being changed radically changed how Paul interacted with and engaged with the church. He went from persecuting Christians to preaching Jesus and planting churches all over the Mediterranean rim. Your vision, your perspective, the lens that you see life and the church through radically impacts the way that you interact with the church. And so my hope and my prayer is that through this series that God would give us a very clear vision of who he has called us to be and what he has called us to do. And that in the process, I'm hoping that some scales may fall off of some people's eyes when it comes to what they previously believed about the church and that it would radically change the way you interact and engage with the church. If you were here last fall when I preached the Set the Table series, you heard that when it comes to Life Church Buffalo, I don't want us to be a spiritual buffet for Christians. We're not going to try to be all things to all people, but rather we're going to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, serving up the greatest meal in town, which is Jesus. And much like any fine dining restaurant who don't usually have expansive menus, they usually have one menu that lists the few things that they offer, but the few things that they offer are executed at a really high level. They do things with excellence. And so at Life Church Buffalo, we want to offer a few things as we feed those who are spiritually starving, and we want to execute at an extremely high level. And those three things that I shared with you were the weekend, community, and outreach. That's our one-page menu as a church. That's what we're going to be focused on as a church. And that's what this series is going to be about. So today we're going to talk about the weekend. Next week, we're going to talk about community. And then we're going to finish things up by talking about outreach. And over these three weekends, we're going to share what I believe are the best ways for you to get involved with being a part of the church. Not just attending church on the weekend, but being the church. And before I jump into the first part of this and begin talking about the weekend, I want to ask you another question. So we started with this question that is most common of where do you go to church? And then I asked you, why do you go to church? But I want to take it a step further and get to the root of it and ask you that, you know, when it comes to the word church itself, what comes to mind? Because everyone has their own opinion, perception of the church. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Maybe a better question to ask in light of the title of the series is what is your vision of church? Do you picture a traditional building with stained glass windows and religious symbols and artwork all over the wall? Maybe you picture a small country church with pews and a steeple. Maybe you picture this church, if this is the only church you've ever known or have been to. But people have different opinions or or pictures that they see when they hear the word church. But I want to share with you this morning, as we kind of set the foundation for this series and even our discussion today, what I believe Jesus' view of the church was and is, because I think that what we've turned it into today is very different than what he had in mind. So I want to take a look at an exchange that takes place in Matthew's gospel in chapter 16 as Jesus is now and, you know, he's in full swing. He, you know, grew up as a carpenter and many people knew him as that, but then he begins preaching and teaching and doing all these miracles and people start following him everywhere he goes and they're like, this is no ordinary man and who is this guy? Everyone's kind of abuzz with Who is this Jesus? And so we see this thing take place in Matthew 16 that I want to point your attention to. Verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his followers, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And that's a title that Jesus often referred to himself as, the Son of Man. In verse 14, they answered, Some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They didn't know who he was. They thought that maybe he was one of these Old Testament prophets, these heroes of the faith that had come back and been reincarnated. And then Jesus asks a very important question. He says to them, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And that's a question that every single person here today needs to wrestle with. Who do you believe Jesus is? 
And Simon Peter in verse 16 answers. And Simon was always the first one to speak up. He was always the one known for getting himself in trouble and sticking his foot in his mouth. But here he gets something right. And what I need you to understand about what he's called in this verse, Simon Peter, is that Simon is not his first name and Peter is not his last name. The writer is trying to communicate to us that he he is in transition between two names. And you're going to see that in a minute here. Simon Peter answers in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because no person taught you that. My Father in heaven showed you who I am. Verse 18, so I tell you, you are Peter. You were Simon, you're now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the power of death will not be able to. To defeat it. The name Simon means shifty, unstable. The name Peter means rock. And so based on Peter's answer to Jesus' question of who he believed he was, Jesus changes his name from shifty Simon to Peter the rock. But a lot of people have maybe misunderstood what Jesus was saying and that he was going to build his church on the rock of Peter. And certainly Peter was instrumental in the early church, preached the first sermon and acts, and God used him in mighty ways. But really the rock that Jesus was referring to was the statement that Peter made, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And on this rock, the rock of the statement of belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church. And at this church, that is our cornerstone. That is our foundation that we believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one that was sent to save people from their sins. But I wonder if the disciples had something different in mind than we do when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Because the very concept of what Jesus said there has been somewhat misunderstood and misinterpreted throughout the years. And so I want to teach you something for just a moment and give you a little bit of a history lesson and a vocabulary lesson. And I know some of you that just started school, you know, a couple weeks ago are thinking, no, I don't want to go to class while I'm in church. Please don't make me do that. But I think you're going to find what I have to share with you interesting. I need to put my teacher hat on this morning to help explain where and why I believe some people have a misunderstanding of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build my church. So in order to do that, in order to give this lesson, I need to go back to the original language. And if you're new to all this, if you're new to church and faith in the Bible, you might be surprised to know that the Bible that we read in English was not written in English. English didn't even appear as a language until the fifth century. So these texts that were originally written down for us were recorded in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The latter books, as things began to change, were written in Aramaic, which was the language that was spoken in Jesus' day. That was what Jesus spoke and what his disciples spoke. But what was recorded in the New Testament was recorded in Koine Greek which was the official language of the Roman Empire so they could distribute and disseminate information throughout the known world that they had conquered in the region. To make things easy, they had just made Greek the official written language of the time. Why is all of this important? You're going to see. Because when we hear Jesus say, I'm going to build my church, we have a different perspective than what Jesus meant when he said it. Because the word that Jesus used as he was speaking in Aramaic, but what was recorded in Greek is this word ekklesia. Ekklesia. It's a compound word made up of ek, meaning out, and lesia, meaning called. It means called out. And so I want to give you a definition this morning so that we can begin to have a proper understanding of the meaning of this word. The word ekklesia is a gathering of citizens called out of their homes for a specific purpose. Now, the original intent where this was most often used in this time in history was a military term when people were called out of their homes to be given a mission. When the, when the soldiers, when SEAL Team 6 needed to be called up, you know, to go and do a mission for the army, it was an ecclesia, it was a gathering, people called out of their homes to be given a mission that they were charged to go and do. 
Ecclesia was also a word in the Old Testament that was sometimes used to refer to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But most often it was a military term, meaning that we're calling you out of your homes. We're going to gather together and for a specific purpose. So Jesus is saying to his disciples here, I am going to build an army of people who gather together for a purpose. That's what he's saying. And so for the first couple hundred years of the church's existence, that is exactly what the church was. It was people who gathered together in places to worship God and grow in their faith. And they would gather wherever they could, sometimes in public meeting places, other times in people's homes. It really didn't matter where they gathered because they were gathering for a purpose to share a common faith that Jesus is the son of the living God. And in the first couple hundred years, as this movement begins to grow and as more and more people are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the Roman Empire views this as a threat to their rule and their reign, and they begin to persecute Christians. It comes under intense, heavy persecution, and people are tortured. Some are even killed. Many were killed for their faith in the early centuries of the church. Maybe you've seen movies of Christians being burned at the stake or eaten alive by lions in the Roman Colosseum that was a form of entertainment for people in these days. Rome was trying to stamp it out, but then, you know, this, this practice began to develop as more and more people are being martyred for their faith, where Christians on the anniversary of the death of someone who had been killed for their faith would gather around the gravesite of someone who was martyred, and they would have a small service. They would sing a few songs. They would share communion together. And so this was a way for them to kind of commemorate and honor the sacrifice that these people had made in paying the ultimate price of laying down their lives for their faith. But then something changed in the year 313 AD. A guy by the name of Constantine, who would soon become the emperor of Rome, became a Christ follower himself. He was a high-ranking Roman official who had become a Christian. They weren't really called Christians back in those days. That was actually a derogatory term. They were called the followers of the way at this time. But Christians were like those little Christs walking around. It was a derogatory term that, that was given to people. But he passed a law in 313 AD that basically protected religious freedom. Because now being a Christian himself, he didn't want to subject himself to the possibility that he could be burned at the stake. And so what you would think would be this great reprieve and sigh of relief for the church that people no longer had to fear for their lives actually was the start of when things began to change because Constantine officially made Christianity the main religion of the empire. And what used to be this informal gathering of believers who shared a purpose of their faith became a formalized and institutionalized religion. And the Roman Empire then looked at this practice that they used to do of gathering around the grave sites of, you know, martyred individuals, and they began to construct these buildings, these places on top of the grave sites that they would call basilica, basilicas. You know, it was this uh, way for them to kind of honor the sacrifice that these people had made, and they began to construct these buildings, the most famous of which is found in Rome itself, and it's called St. Peter's Basilica, that's where the Pope himself gives mass, all right? And it's built on top of what they believe is the tomb of the Apostle Peter himself, where his bones are now buried. And this was a basilica. It denoted a public or meeting place. It was a public gathering place or meeting place where people would gather. And so later in the 4th and 5th centuries, Gothic cultures, which spoke Germanic languages, would use the term kirika, from which, in the German language today, we get the term Kirche. I, I thought it was Kirche, but I was corrected between services. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's Kirche. And can anyone guess where we today get our word church from? Kirche. Kirche. All right. Its roots are based in that German word. And I know this might seem boring to you, and you might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the weekend and with, you know, 2020 vision? I'm going to tie all of this together for you because I don't know of any other way of helping you understand, you know, why and where we sometimes have gotten the wrong mindset of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. 
Most of our English Bibles are translated word for word from the original language. So scholars who know Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek looked at each word that was written down and tried to find the closest comparable English word to record it. That happens for every single word in your Bible except for the word ecclesia. The word church is not a translation of it. It is a substitution for the word, and it's a very, very poor one at that. And this one horrible vocabulary lesson, the one word that was lost in translation has shifted the intent and purpose of the church over the years, all right? The church became a place, instead of it being this this gathering of people that came together out of their homes for a specific purpose, became a place that you went to, a building that you went to. Jesus didn't say, I will build a building. He said, I will build an army of people that are committed to my cause. That's where our misunderstanding comes from when it comes to the church. And listen, I'm not saying that God is against us meeting in buildings. All right, I'm not saying that we need to ban the use of the term church. Jesus even referred to the temple, the place that people gathered as his father's house. I I just think that we need to have a more proper understanding and get a better picture of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my church. And the truth is, is that I believe that the church is the most powerful force on the face of the planet because it's the only thing that Jesus said, the power of death and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against. We need the church. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't just go to a church. You are the church. We are the church. And that's why we gather, like so many have, over the centuries on the weekend. That's why the weekend is so important. That's why it's the first part of our strategy. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews chapter chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How are we going to do that? Verse 25 tells us, by not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. How many of you get sick and tired with all of the negativity and and hatred that you're surrounded with every single day? We're bombarded with it. I mean, just turn on the evening news, my goodness. And that's why, you know, the writer says, let's consider how we might spur one another on towards love because we're constantly surrounded by hate. Let's consider how we might, you know, help each other do what's good when everyone else around them is just focused on themselves. How do we do that? The key to doing that is in verse 25, by not forsaking getting together. We've got to continue meeting together and not giving up on that practice because it was clear even back then when this was recorded 2,000 years ago that some people had given up on meeting together. We don't know why. Maybe they felt like it wasn't important. Maybe their businesses started to take off and they didn't have time. Maybe their kids were too involved in sports. But for whatever reason, they felt like, you know what, I, I don't need to go to church. I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really need that. And so they gave up meeting together. But have you ever noticed that it's when you're alone that you're drawn towards more of the negative impulses of your heart? Have you ever noticed that it's when you're by yourself that you tend to make some pretty dumb decisions? Have you ever noticed that when you're separated from your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, that that's when you seem to need them the most? We need the weekend. We need to come together because when we're apart is when it seems like it's the hardest. When we're by ourselves, that's when we struggle the most. So we need this moment each week, if nothing more than to give us hope for the week. We're bombarded with negativity all all day, every day, every week, and we need to gather together to encourage each other, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is like home for your soul. It's how you find peace in your life amidst the chaos and craziness of this world. But listen, you can also go to church on the weekend and still never really connect, at least not in a way that makes you a part of it. You might go to church, but you might not be a part of the church, which was the question I asked in the beginning. You can pop in and out each week, and enjoy yourself, but never really be a part of what's happening here. And I don't want that for you. 
I want everyone here to feel like this is home, like this is their family, that this is the place I look forward to going to each week to, to get filled up again and be renewed and restored. So I want to share with you today three things that when it comes to the weekend, I hope all of you will step into when it comes to being the church, not just going to church, but being the church. So the first thing I want to say that when it comes to the weekend is that you can watch or you can worship. You can watch or you can worship. Now, trust me, I understand that when you're brand new to a place, all you really can do is watch. I always know when, when a first-time guest comes in, you kind of see him with these big eyes, like looking around, like, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Am I going to like this place? Are these people going to like me? I'm not so sure what's going on. So people watch, and, and I get it, because going to a church for the first time can be a really scary, intimidating experience, especially if you didn't grow up in church. A couple weeks ago, we had the privilege of hearing Ron Persons share his story with us of how he was very scared and intimidated the first time he walked through the doors of our church after having never been to a church in 43 years. He was scared to death. So it's, I understand watching, but listen, that's why our guest services team works so hard every single weekend to provide all of our guests with the greatest experience they've had all week long. That's our goal in guest services. Whether you're a greeter, an usher, you're serving coffee, whatever the case may be, our goal is to make sure that every person that walks through the doors had their greatest experience they've had all week. No matter where else they've gone to that week, we want to provide the best customer service that you've had all week long. So regardless of why you come to church, even if this is your first time, I believe that if you have a great experience if you're welcomed and greeted by people who are excited to see you and give you a handshake or a high five and, and you feel, you know, welcomed and loved and embraced, that I think you might want to come back. If this is a place that you feel your spirits lifted during worship and encouraged by the word, then I think you might want to come back. Because at some point, I don't want you to feel new anymore. I want you to feel like you're home, like this is your family. And eventually, if you stick around long enough, my prayer is that you're going to meet and fall in love with Jesus who loves you more than anything else in this world and who has a plan for your life and wants to give your, your life meaning and hope and a purpose. That's what I believe. And you'll come to discover once that happens, when you meet Jesus, you're going to realize that Christianity is not a spectator sport. All right? You don't get to sit on the bench so you can watch or you can worship. You get to decide each week whether you're going to stay on the sidelines and just watch from a distance what happens or you can get in the game and engage with God and worship. And you know, I hear a lot of times from people, not just at this church, but in previous church experiences I've been to, is like, why is it so loud? Why, why do you have the music so loud? And I, I get why there are preferences that people have for different styles of worship. You know, I'm not saying that ours is right and others is wrong, but everything we do here is done with intentionality. And I want you to understand why we like it loud when we worship Jesus here. The first and foremost reason, the biggest reason we like to play our music loud and sing loud is because we are so grateful for what Jesus has saved us from. We get excited about the salvation and the freedom and the purpose and the overflow that he pours into our lives. And we can't help but shout it from the rooftops. That's not something to be quiet about. That's something to sing loud about. You know, the Bible even tells us that we should be loud in our praise. The writer of Psalm 150 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. We have modern-day versions of the lyre and the harp with our electric guitar and piano. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. I'm so glad that old tradition of people bringing their old tambourines to church is gone because those people that did that didn't know how to carry a beat, okay? It was like messing everybody up, including the worship team. Don't bring your tambourine with you. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud, clanging cymbals. All right, so if you wonder why we like it loud in church, we're just following what the Bible says. Because it's so as we're supposed to praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. That does not sound like a spectator sport to me. That does not sound like a somber experience. 
that sounds like every person that's breathing is supposed to sing praise to God. And guess what? Standing is not the same as singing. All right? I know some of you like to come in and you, you know, you're still maybe trying to check things out, try to get a feel for what this is all about, but you stand there, your hands in your pocket, maybe checking your watch to see when this is going to be over with. And listen, if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, we want to say that there is no pressure to worship the same way we do. You might not even believe the same things we do. I just want you to simply understand why those that worship the way they do, do. Because we're excited. And listen, the second reason that we like things loud, I don't know if you've heard yourself sing lately. Some of y'all might need some vocal lessons, okay? You can't carry a tune. You don't know how to hold a pitch. And I'm not throwing stones because I, I suck at singing. I don't have the same voice that my wife has, all right? And so we went to a church recently where um, the volume of worship wasn't quite what we're used to at the level we like to put it at here. And after the experience, we walked back to our car, and my wife told me how she was, um, I'm going to try to choose the right word here. She wasn't ashamed of me, but she was aware of my singing, and I was aware of my singing because I could hear myself singing. And I realized that if I could hear myself singing, then other people could hear me singing. And I don't sing very well. And so I started to get a little bit more quiet because I was self-conscious. And the last thing that we want is to have an environment here where people come in after having had a horrible week and they just want to pour out their hearts to God and not worry about what other people are going to think about them. We want them to worship at the top of their lungs and not worry about whether or not they sound good. All right, so that's why we like it loud here. We want you to be able to make a joyful noise to the Lord regardless of whether it's on key or on pitch or not. And so some people might say, well, why, what's with the lifting of hands? I'm, what is that all about? What do you do when your team scores a touchdown? Yes! Guess what? Our team has scored the winning touchdown. The devil has tried his best, but Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and we think that's worth getting excited about. So we lift our hands, and we shout our praise to our king. Why do you clap your hands? I don't understand. Well, the hands is just a way for us to use our bodies as an instrument. The Bible tells us over and over again to clap your hands and shout to the Lord. So that's why we like it loud here at Life Church Buffalo. Listen, if you don't like it loud in church, you're going to hate heaven because I think it's going to be a straight-up party when we get there. For real, y'all. So listen, if you're new to a relationship with God or you're new to church, again, I just want to say I, we're not trying to make you feel pressure to engage and worship the same way we do. We just simply wanted to provide some understanding for why we do the things we do the way we do them. It's because people realize how much Jesus has done for them, and we're just grateful, and that's our response to God in return is to worship him. So you can watch or you can worship. The second thing when it comes to the weekend is that you can sit or you can serve. You can sit or you can serve. How many of you remember the show Little House on the Prairie? All right, some of you, you just showed your age uh, with that show. I remember watching that as a kid. Uh, my parents used to love that show, my mom especially, I think. But, you know, church back then was very different than it is today. There was only one person that worked on Sunday, and that was the pastor. And everyone that went to church, there was usually one church per town. You know, people that went to church would go to church. The pastor would greet them when they walked in. The pastor would then get up when it was time for the service to start. He would have all the people stand and get out their hymnals and sing along with him. He was the worship leader as well, and sing along with stanzas one, two, and four. Growing up, I don't know what the deal was. What did people have against stanza three? That was always the case. Why are we singing only stanzas one, two, and four and not stanza three? I don't get it. But that's, that's a sidebar. And so then, then the pastor would preach, and then the pastor would go to the back door and, you know, shake everyone's hand and hope, you know, wish them a good week. And it was the pastor that did everything. But times have changed, and so has the church. And can I say, thank God that times have changed. Because you need to realize that to come to an experience like you do here each weekend where you can enjoy the music and the message and have a cup of coffee and enjoy kids ministry and everything else that's a part of what we do here on the weekend. It takes dozens of people to do this. Trust me, you don't want to go to a church where the pastor's the only one doing everything. It will not be a good experience. I promise you that. 
But unfortunately, in our culture today, we live in a very consumeristic mindset, and that consumerism has crept into our Christianity and the way we view the church. And so we come to church for what we can get from it. I just show up and I enjoy the experience. Yes, but the reason you enjoy it is because so many people have given up their time and their talent so that you could come and enjoy it. And God wants the same for you because we've all been wired differently with different gifts that are meant to serve people. I know many of you have heard me say the verse in 1 Peter 4.10 over and over again, but I'm going to say it again in a different translation because I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Every single person here today has a gift. And Peter tells us that we're to use those gifts well to serve one another. The reason you have a gift is meant to serve people. You've heard me say this as well, and I'm going to say it again because I believe it with the core of who I am, that saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are meant to serve people. What are you passionate about? What gets you excited? What gets you angry? What do you want to make a difference and an impact in? That might be a clue and an indication as to the the gift that you have and the way that you're meant to serve other people. The truth is, if you want to discover your purpose in life, why not start by serving others within the context of the weekend experience right here at church? Listen, I'm serious about this. I don't believe God can can do something great in you if you won't make yourself available to him. God can't birth a passion or a purpose in you if you aren't willing to serve others. Too many people are looking for a platform when God's looking for servants. So many people feel aimless when it comes to why God made them. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And yet we have an on-ramp to begin to discover that right here at church on the weekend. People can begin to discover that. So you can come and sit, or you can choose to serve. All I know is that I want to be more like Jesus and less like my culture. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And if I'm going to follow him, then I need to follow in his footsteps. People who go to church, come to sit. People who believe they are the church, come to serve. You can sit, or you can serve. And thirdly, when it comes to the weekend, you can get, or you can give. You can get or you can give. Listen, I understand that we come to get something from church. I mean, why do you ever look for a church in the first place, right? You're looking for something. There's something missing in your life. You you want to get something. And when you first come, you do get something. You get to sit in a warm place in the summer in the winter and a cool place in the summer. You get to bring your kids to an amazing place and space where Staff and volunteers have worked during the week to prepare that back there for you. You get to bring your kids to an experience where they get to have fun while they learn about faith in an age-appropriate environment, being taught by people who are passionate about kids and are planting the word of God in them at a very young age. You get to attend an experience where you can be refreshed and renewed by the worship that lifts your soul. You get to hear a message that I work hours and hours and hours for each week to try and help make it helpful and meaningful and impactful for your life. You get to bring your middle and high school kids to their own dedicated you know, student experience on Friday nights where Nate and Jamie Rogers, our youth leaders, and some dedicated student leaders are pouring into the students as they navigate this difficult season of their life. You get all of these things. You go, but you get all of that, and there's not even a cover charge for it. There's no monthly membership fee to get all of that. But listen, all of that doesn't happen for free. All of that is made possible because there are people who don't just go to church, but believe and know that they are the church. And because they are the church, they give so that we can do and give all of this for you. It happens because people are generous towards God in their giving because they realize that Jesus is the most generous person that has ever lived, that God gave everything when he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And when we receive that, we see that our only response is to be generous in return. I don't need to belabor this point because we just got done with a series, you know, called Timeless where Pastor Lauren did an incredible job teaching about the tithes and the offerings. But listen, We are called over and over again in Scripture to give God our first and our best from what he's blessed us with. 
giving is a part of our worship. All right, it's not just what we do in the beginning of our service by singing songs. That is worship, yes, but worship is a lifestyle, and we have to worship him with our entire beings. And I know that's tough for so many people who live paycheck to paycheck and never have enough left over. They would like to give, but they, they've got, you know, more bills than they have month left. And, you know, and so what I need us to understand, though, what we tried to communicate in the last series is God's not satisfied with our leftovers. He wants us to trust him with everything, including our finances. And when we understand that over and over again, God has promised us that when we do, he blesses us in return. We can stand on that promise that when you give, you get. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? What's he saying? It's more blessed to give than it is to get. But the cool thing about following Jesus is when you take the approach of a servant and you come to give, you end up getting in return. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. God pours back into your life, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. People who go to church come to get. People who are the church come to give. You can get or you can give. Cool thing is, though, like I said, we end up getting even more in return. So as I close, in the end, we don't really go to church because if you answer the call of Jesus, if you say yes to him, you are the church. And that means wherever you go, the church is there. We gather on the weekend so that we can be the church during the week. So when you go to work tomorrow, the church goes with you. When you go to school, students, the church goes with you. When you go to your homes, the church goes with you. On the weekend, we gather as a community to encourage each other for the upcoming week, to serve each other and to spur each other on towards love and good work so you can be in an environment after having been beaten down all week so that you can be recharged and refilled, gathered, called out of your homes for a purpose so that you can go back into the world after having found healing and strength and comfort. Listen, that's why I want our time here together each week to be the best time of your week. That's why I want you to see a smiling face and a friendly handshake when you walk through the doors of our church. That's why I want you to experience some of the greatest worship in the city. That's why I want you to hear a message that will give you hope for tomorrow. You know, I heard a pastor once say that what we do when we gather here on the weekend isn't really, you know, the game, okay? This is like the locker room. This is where we come to get a pep talk, to get our marching orders, to get our strategy for the game, and then we're released, and we go out into the real world. We go out into the game, okay? Jesus is the owner. I'm the coach, and I'm trying to give us a strategy as we have the 2020 vision for where God's taking us so that we can all be equipped and empowered to be who Jesus has called us to be and do the works of the ministry, This is the locker room, and I hope you're getting fired up to be who God's called you to be and to do what God has called you to do because when you're a Christ follower, you don't go to church. You are the church, all right? The church doesn't exist for me because I am the church. Therefore, I exist for the world. I exist to reach people who are far from God and teach people how to follow Jesus step by step, all right? which means on the weekend, okay, here's what I want you to understand. The bottom line of our strategy, our vision for the weekend is that on the weekend, we reach and we teach. We reach and we teach. We reach people who are far from God. We teach people how to follow Jesus step by step as we make disciples of all people, which means, okay, if that's why we're here on the weekend, we've got to bring people with us. If we're going to reach people and teach people, y'all got to bring some people with you so they can experience the same source of hope and joy and strength and meaning that you have experienced in your life. I want them to wonder why you have so much joy even when you're going through a difficult experience. I want them to wonder why you're being so kind when everyone else around you is being so mean. I want them to wonder why you love your spouse so much when everyone else talks bad about theirs. I want them to wonder why you're so generous when everyone else around you is trying to keep everything they can for themselves. I want them to wonder where my strength 
and my hopeful attitude comes from. And when they ask, I can tell them and you can tell them it's because of my Jesus and because of my church. It's because of what God is doing in my life that I can be like this. And it's because of what God is doing in my church that I'm so excited because I know that God has saved me. He has set me free. He's given me a purpose and he's caused me to overflow as one of his children. And so you get to tell people that you got to come and see what God is doing because he's changed my life and he can change yours too. That's what the weekend's all about. We reach and we teach, and you got to bring some people so they can experience this too. Why would we keep that to ourselves once we discover what is available, the abundant life that Christ died so that we can have? It's because we have an opportunity on the weekend to be refreshed and renewed on Sunday that we can go out into the world and be like that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That's what the weekend is for. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you that you used a word like ecclesia to describe what you wanted to build. A group of citizens called out of their homes to gather together for a specific purpose. And right here, right now on September 24th, 2017 in West Seneca, New York, we are a group of citizens that have gathered together for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to go out into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that you've taught us and commanded us, God. We are here to reach people who are far from you and teach people how to follow Jesus step by step. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would begin by the power of your Holy Spirit spirit to cause some scales to fall off of people's eyes who've always believed that the church is a building I go to that exists to meet my needs. Lord, if there are followers of Jesus Christ here today, I pray that you would call them, that you would call them by name and whisper to them in that still small voice, speak to them in their hearts to know what you've called them to be and do. Lord, that they would get excited about where this church is heading into the future as we focus on making our weekend experience so excellent and so warm and so loving and so generous that people who walk through our doors would be compelled to come back because they've never experienced anything like it before. God, you want to use every single person in this room to be a part of creating that experience. And so, God, if there are people here today that have been hurt by the church, that have been disillusioned and disenfranchised, and walked away from the church. Maybe they still love you in their heart, but they were wounded by the church, and so they've stayed away. God, maybe you're speaking to them today and wanting to heal their heart and cause them to know that the church is the bride of Christ. It's the hope of the world. It's the most powerful force on the face of the planet, and you want to use them towards reaching every person with a demonstration of Christ in his kingdom. So, Lord, challenge us today. Call us out. We're here. We're gathered together. Lord, give us the mission. You know what you've called us to do. We know what you've called us to do. So God, I pray that you would galvanize us as a community of faith, as a family, to have each other's backs as we go out into the world, as we go out into the game. Lord, to carry out our mission. Lord, help us to love people on purpose, to live on purpose for a purpose, to discover the reason that you've placed us here and the works that you've planned in advance for us to do. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, for the 60 people who've been baptized this year and gone public with their faith. Lord, we thank you for the hundreds more to come that are going to be just like them. Broken, hurting people that are going to be healed and, and made whole and be given salvation and freedom and purpose and overflow. Lord, we love you. We thank you in advance for what you've done in our lives, but more importantly, for what you're going to do through us as your church when we gather on the weekends. It's in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray our commanding officer, everyone said, amen. Church, were you encouraged this morning? I hope so.